Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quinarius was governor of Syria. All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. I can't believe it's Christmas Eve, and I I think I say that every year. Um, uh, At Crown Christmas Eve, that I can't believe it's Christmas Eve, but it really does come, it seems like, earlier and earlier every year. It comes faster and faster every year. As a kid, and I've told you this before, as a kid, I loved lighting the Advent wreath at my grandmother's church. Um, I loved getting to, because I was, I was the pastor's grandkid, so I always got to light it. And, uh, and I always really enjoyed that. I always had a lot of fun with that. But I also loved the tradition of the Advent wreath, because each candle, you know, at the time as a kid, right, I wasn't thinking about the hope, peace, love, and joy. I was thinking about how when all those candles were lit, I got presents. And so one more candle at a time was always good and always great to see and always encouraging. So I've always had this incredible fondness for this wreath and for what it symbolizes, that even though it might have just been presence as a kid, um, it, it still got the message across that, that when you look at this wreath, you're supposed to be expecting something good. You're supposed to be waiting and excited for something great. And as each of those candles are lit, we draw closer and closer and closer to that good and good thing. 
I'm so profoundly thankful for all of you who are here with us this morning. Uh, first of our two Christmas Eve services. If you were if you were at the community Christmas Eve service on Wednesday, to, then tonight at eleven it's going to feel pretty familiar. I wrote the Christmas Eve service for the community service, so uh, basically we're going to use it again tonight, um, and uh, but a little bit different. But either either way, I, I'm so grateful for all who come together to worship and to celebrate on Christmas Eve because it is such a profoundly important story in our Christian faith. The Christmas story is the greatest story ever told because it's the story that changes everything. It's the story of God doing something that seemed out of character for God. It's the story of God coming to earth as a human child, as a refugee, an immigrant, a helpless baby born into an occupied territory on the brink of war. God looked down on the earth and chose where God would come. God could have been the son or daughter of a ruler, a king, a centurion, a, the very image of power. God could have come to extraordinary wealth, could have been the child of Herod, the child of some great priest, a renowned rabbi. But, but God chose instead to come to a poor carpenter and his unwed fiancée. Now, of course, we know from the prophecies that, that, that the, the baby had to be born in the lineage of David. But remember that those prophecies came from God too. All that demonstrates to us, all that tells us, is that even centuries before Joseph was even a thought, God had planned him. Even centuries before Mary was born, God had planned her. It was God's very design, God's very decision, that this incredible baby boy that would bring salvation to the world be born not to wealth and power or status, but be born to an everyday blue-collar family who just wanted to put food on the table at the end of the day. You know, when it comes to children, there's a certain level of random chance, right? I mean, we have amazing technology today. We can, we can tell you what your child's gender is going to be before they're born. But you can't predict what a child's gender is going to be, right? I mean, there's, no way, there's, there's a lot of wives' tales out there, I think, but none of them work, right? You, you just sort of wait until you find out, and then you celebrate it when you find out. You have no idea what your child's going to look like until you see them. You have no idea what your child's going to grow up and become until they grow up and become something. We hope and we pray for our children, but, but ultimately, every moment of their lives is a mystery and a surprise. And that, that gift of children and that gift of surprise and that gift of wonder of what is going to happen next is so incredible. But sometimes we forget that when it comes to the Christ child, every moment was planned and that the Christ child came in a world exactly as intended. This was no accident. This was no mistake on God's part. This was no poor planning on God's part. This was no, you know, messing up some paperwork in heaven. This was God's plan, God's design, God's choice that that the child would come to a poor and lowly family. And that, to me, so profoundly describes the very nature and character of who God is and how God speaks in our lives. I love the old Christmas specials on TV. Normally, I'm all about the latest and greatest. I like, I like new things, and I like new technology, and I like hearing about new ways people are doing things in interesting ways. But when it comes to Christmas specials, that is truly something that was much better in the old days than it is today. Uh, see, there's only two kinds of Christmas specials today. Um, there's the, the romantic comedy where the woman falls in love with some guy, and it turns out he's super wealthy and also the prince of a country you've never heard of. Or there's the movie where Santa Claus is an ordinary guy walking around town, and uh, he kind of blends in with the crowd, and, and Santa Claus is sort of like reimagined in modern day. Or there's the blending together where the woman falls in love with Santa Claus. There's a couple of those out there now, too. 
That's, that's how low we stoop. That's how, that's how desperate we are for something new at Christmas time, because that's sort of the way we are. We, we want to come up with something new with a story that's so very old. Now, the old Christmas uh, specials, I'm talking about like the 1960s claymations. I loved those as a kid, and I still love them now. Those stories are really just the stories of children's books and songs. They're nothing profound, but, but those stories are the stories of Christmas. I, I know that they're the story of the commercial version of Christmas, and they're the story of Rudolph and Santa Claus and all that, but, but each of those stories actually has its roots in what we teach on Christmas. If, we're, we're, if we do it right, we can actually use these stories to help our children understand what the Christmas story is all about. You see, unlike the new ones, which are kind of all about material wealth and, and getting new things and getting more stuff, and the old ones, the story is always the same. Someone is overlooked, someone is unwanted, and in the end, they're rewarded for their willingness to serve. I think about Rudolph. Rudolph is a parable. Did you know that? Rudolph is kind of a parable. Think about that. that Rudolph is this shrimpy little reindeer with a red nose. I'm sure you've heard the song, right? And he's unwanted and because he's different. What makes him different makes him less than. It makes him an outsider, makes him an other. So he's ignored and passed by, and his gifts, the abilities that he have, he has, are ignored until they're needed. And then one foggy Christmas night, Santa came to say, right? Rudolph came, and he led the sleigh and saved Christmas. And I know that the Christmas story is something so much more important than presents and Santa Claus, But in much the same way, the Christ child came to a world that didn't look upon the Christ child as something with a lot of power. It didn't recognize the gifts and graces of the Christ child. Instead, it overlooked it entirely. Jesus was ignored in his early life. Jesus was walked right past. Not much was done. These are the stories that we grow up with. and These are the stories that I think can tell us a lot about Christmas if we read them in the right way. One of my favorites, though, you're, I'm going I'm to tell you how much of a liar I am now, is actually from 2001. I know I said I like the older ones better, but it's the Island of the Misfit Toys. That came out in 2001, and that one is my favorite Christmas special of all time. I watched it as a kid, and I loved it. And it's, it stars Rudolph again, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but this time he's going to an island where these toys have been rejected by their children and now live on this island. And it turns out that there's an antagonist here, uh, the toy snatcher, whose job it is to go around and convince these toys that they're unwanted and unloved and that nobody will ever appreciate them for who they are. Much like the enemy of our faith tells us every day of our lives that we are unwanted and unloved, that the good that we do for others will go unappreciated, even worse, that the good that we do in the world only matters if people write about it or if people talk about it or if people celebrate it, not just because it's good. So I won't bore you with all the details if you haven't seen but basically, Rudolph saves the day, right? He convinces all the toys to go back to their children, and they are loved because they're no longer being overlooked. <clears throat> One of the really special things about these older Christmas stories is that uh, in addition to being special and wholesome, uh, they also really help us to see what it means to overlook someone and then find that they are profoundly powerful in their own way. But there's another classic Christmas special. I actually played this clip in the sanctuary a couple years ago. A Charlie Brown Christmas, right? I'm sure everyone's seen that one, right? Has anyone not seen a Charlie Brown Christmas? Is that even, is that even legal? Uh, so I have a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree in my office. I put it up every year. Um, and it is. It's a little tree with a little stick and a little ornament, you know, and I, I love it. I, that's my Christmas tree in my office every year. And, uh, and the Charlie Brown Christmas, basically the story is, is that the kids are trying to put on a Christmas program, like a play. 
And Charlie Brown has one job, and his one job is to find a Christmas tree, but it's too late, and the only thing he can find is this shrimpy, lame little twig with an ornament on the end of it. So he brings it, and all the kids are upset with Charlie. They, poor Charlie Brown. He is uh, a pariah amongst the children because his one job he failed miserably at. So Charlie gets frustrated, and he says, doesn't anyone know what Christmas is all about? You might remember this scene. The lights come on, and Linus Van Pelt comes out, and he reads from the King James Version, Luke chapter 2, the same passage that we read this morning. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <clears throat> on the surface, I love what Linus did. On the surface, I love his message. Linus's message is that in the midst of commercialization, in the midst of Christmas becoming all about food and songs and money and gifts, we forget that the purpose of Christmas is to teach us about the stories of our faith, especially the story of Jesus Christ coming in a manger. You know what's really crazy about Christmas is that it's actually the commercialization that makes it popular. Christmas was not popular uh, prior to about the 1900s. Uh, the first time a Christmas tree came to America <clears throat> was 1908, um, and then they weren't actually popular to the 40s. And Christmas was sort of like Ash Wednesday, right? Ash Wednesday is really, really important in the church. It tells a really profoundly important story. Very few people do much with it anymore. Um, we always have a service at the church. It's usually not very well attended, and, uh, and very few people spend much time thinking about it at home. It's sort of faded away from our culture, our American culture, and, and if we don't sort of ground ourselves in the church, we lose out on it. And that's actually how Christmas was. In fact, in Pennsylvania, this is true, Christmas was illegal. Uh, Christmas was illegal because the Puritans and the Quakers and some of the early Baptists before uh, the current Baptist traditions we have were actually opposed to it. They were opposed to the celebrations of Christmas, feeling like they took away from the message, which should just be coming to church and hearing the stories, as opposed to decorations and dancing and singing and all that. But it actually was, uh, was in the 1940s, and especially the early 1900s, when Christmas started to become something you could buy a card for and buy presents for and put a tree up for and listen to special songs for that it became popular in America. And that might be crazy to think about because uh, none of us are old enough to remember 1908, except for Mary, and she's not here. And, uh, and so none of us remember what life was like before Christmas was a popular, dominant part of our culture. You, know, you might have to ask Mary about that sometime. She remembers prior to the 40s when, uh, <clears throat> when Christmas was, I mean, people did it, but it just wasn't as popular as it is today. So in some ways, the commercialization of Christmas actually has a bit of an advantage, unintended, in that we talk about Christmas, and Christmas is such an important part of our culture. But like Linus Van Pelt points out to us, we can so easily get caught up in believing that that's what it's all about. But I do have one problem with Linus Van Pelt's uh, explanation here. And hear me out here. I think Linus is only halfway there. Linus does a great job. He stands out on stage and he reads the Scripture from memory. Uh, my home church, Cuba United Methodist Church, there's a woman there who has the entire uh, second chapter of Luke memorized, and she recites it every year at Christmas, and it's such a beautiful thing to hear. Um, she is a wonderful speaker. Um, she did theater. That's what she taught for years and years and years, and so she has this wonderful voice to recite the Christmas story from memory every year. That's what Linus does. He gets up and he recites the story from memory of Jesus coming as a, as a newborn child. And so in this story, Linus is reminding us that the purpose of Christmas is to remember the story of Jesus. But the part that Linus forgets about is that Christmas is also about what you and I do as a result of that story, the you and I component of the Christmas story. If we're not careful, we can let this incredible story be just a story, just something that we remember, we read, maybe we read it together as a family, 
But it's so easy to let these incredible stories become just something that happened 2,000 years ago and not something that lives in our lives today. Christmas is about stillness and quiet. When, I, when Ashley and I were dating, when we were in high school, um, so my tradition at the time <clears throat> was to go out to my grandmother's house, and she lived in Park Hills. She still does, lives in Park Hills, um, which is about an hour and 15 minutes or so from here. And uh, it's a roundabout way, but you could go past Ashley's mother's house to get to Park Hills. Um, and it was a little bit quicker than Ashley coming out to my house, and then it's going from there. So I would go really early in the morning because Ashley's family did Christmas on Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day. So I would go first thing in the morning, like 5.30 in the morning, and I would pick her up at her house in House Springs, and we would go and drive out to my grandmother's house. And I used to really enjoy, I used to love those drives because it was dead. There was another car on the road. There were no lights on. There were no uh, billboards. In fact, I think twice I missed my turn and ended up in Fenton. I ended up driving 20 minutes farther than I was supposed to because I'm so used to, you know, you drive on Highway 30, you're going out to House Springs, you drive through Lonedale, and there's kind of nothing. You're just driving around curvy roads, and you see trees, and then slowly you start seeing billboards, and then you start seeing signs, and then you have neon signs that say Taco Bell and McDonald's and Burger King and Walmart, and, and you know, when, you, when you've hit civilization, basically, you've hit House Springs. And there's, there was none of that, right? You, you're kind of driving along, and all you see is the road in front of you and your headlights, and you realize you've gone way too far because none of those lights were on. Nobody was open. Everything was closed. Everything was dark. The gas stations that normally light up the side of the road were dark. And I used to really enjoy that. It was so special to be out in the world in just stillness and quiet. I think about Mary. I think about Mary sitting there in the manger, the hustle and bustle going on around her. Um, I think we in St. Clair can actually relate a bit to what Bethlehem looked like if you were here back in August, right? The hubbub and the, the parties and all of the opportunities uh, for, for these 30,000 people who came to our community to watch the eclipse, right? We were going crazy with all these new people. Well, Bethlehem was the same way. Everybody was there. It was crowded. It was loud. There were parties. There were, there were vendors. There was everything going on possible because if you've got to come for the census, you might as well have a good time. <coughs> Poor Mary is here in this cave or this basement, this, this stable, right? She's all alone with just her husband. The shepherds came a little bit later. The wise men came years later. And she has this child. And in her world, despite all the hustle and bustle around her, there was stillness and there was quiet. And the stillness and the quiet, Christ came. And for all of those who were maybe being a little too loud, they missed it. Think about that. Jesus came to Bethlehem at a time when Bethlehem was crowded. Jesus came to Bethlehem at a time when the city was packed, when it was overflowing, when there wasn't even room to stay. Jesus came, and yet they missed him. It's not like nobody was home. They missed him because they weren't shutting up long enough to find him. They were so busy with their own lives, so busy with their own world, so busy with their own problems that nobody noticed this incredible gift that had been given to the world. Christmas, the Christmas story, if we read it, if we believe it, reminds us that in life we have to be calm and still and listen for God. See where God is at work in our midst. <clears throat> the Christmas story is about unseen heroes. It's about people who the whole world glance right by or even intentionally discard. There was nothing coincidental or accidental about the way God did things 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to a poor family who were traveling immigrants to Bethlehem. Jesus came and first shared the story through the angels to shepherds who were blue-collar workers. You've heard me talk about them before. Shepherds rarely owned their sheep. 
Usually an investor owned the sheep. Someone with a lot of money would buy sheep and then pay a shepherd a tiny, tiny amount of money to watch the sheep. Basically, most shepherds, the vast majority, there, there were middle-class shepherds, there were wealthy shepherds, but, but the vast majority were not, and, and this is who we think were the shepherds at the, at the manger scene, <clears throat> were only paid enough to eat for the day. They were only given enough money to eat for a day. They would work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, just for their dinner. <clears throat> all night with the sheep, all day with the sheep, just for their dinner. That's who the angels came to tell about the Christ child. That's who the angels thought should be the first to greet the Savior in the world. <clears throat> Were the black-breaking, blue-collar, underpaid, underfed laborers. Society had forgotten, discarded, and ignored. The Christmas story is about you and I being called to serve God in profound and bold and creative ways. It's a call to action, not just a story. My hope and prayer for each of you this Christmas Eve is that in the hustle and bustle of everything that's going to happen tonight and tomorrow, whatever that means for you and your family, that you would find time to appreciate the stillness and the quiet of the world where God so often speaks. That you and your family would take some time to just slow down and listen for God in your midst. I also, I also pray that you wouldn't walk over or walk past those who God is so richly blessing and those who might have something extraordinary to teach us. We still wait for Jesus to come in our midst as, again, a lowly, unwanted, and ignored person. God's given us no indication that Jesus would come any other way again. My prayer for us this week is that as we interact with people this week, We'd make sure that their day was brightened because we were a part of it. That's what a Christian should do. There are so many ways we can complain, so many ways we can get angry, so many ways we can get upset, but what if instead we looked at the Christ child and we looked at this story and we listened to Linus Van Pelt's read from, from Luke chapter 2 and we said, you know, this story, this Christmas, this means something to me and what it means to me is that all too often the world overlooks those who Christians are called especially to love. It's amazing what little tiny things you can do to make someone's day. Watch what happens when you ask the girl behind the counter at the gas station what her name is. It doesn't matter if her name's on the name tag. Just have a conversation with her. Say, what's your name? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. You did a great job today. Three seconds, and I I guarantee you, you'll change her her day. Uh, Or what about, you know, the the jerk in the BMW, right, Who, who has been led to believe that their life is the most important life in the world, and that wherever they have to be is the most important place anyone has to be. So they cut you off on the highway, and instead of getting angry, you pray for them for a moment. And for yourself, if you're like me, to be a little bit more Christ-like in the moment. What if everyone we meet, we thought, well, how can I make their day brighter and better, and how could they experience the grace of God because they met me today? What a profound gift we could give to the world to look at the Christmas story, to look at the Christ child, to look at the hustle and bustle in our world, and to give the gift of stillness and quiet, of peace and grace to everyone we meet. God came as a child so that we could be reminded that faith is a journey that starts small and grows big. How will God use you this Christmas? Where is God speaking, and how will you meet those that society looks past, who God looks upon with favor? Amen.